Wake up, America. It's Morning Air with John Morales. Si, senor. Sarah Tafoya. Hey, that's my mom. And Glenn Leverins. Bringing the light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. <laughs> On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's Tuesday, January 23rd, 2024. Good morning and welcome back to another edition of Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn Leverins and studio producer Sarah Tafoya. Thanks so much for joining us here early this Tuesday morning on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. The first in the nation New Hampshire primary is underway as of last night at midnight and former President Trump is leading former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley by double digits and that's according to several recent polls leading up to today. We'll talk about it here in a moment. Uh, today is also the optional memorial of St. Marianne Cope, a 19th century Sisters of St. Francis religious who for several decades continued the ministry to the isolated lepers on Molokai in Hawaii that was begun by St. Damien of Molokai. Coming up in a few minutes, Catholic writer Laura DiMaria will uh, be with us to talk about the amazing story of this little-known saint, St. Marianne Cope. I want to bring in Glenn and Sarah. Uh, Glenn, of course, uh, the big story this morning is it's time to vote in New Hampshire. Right. Voting is underway across the state at this hour. It got started early at midnight. Dixville Notch, the little town with six voters there, all casting their votes for Republicans and Two independents for Nikki Haley, but a long way to go throughout the state until the polls close early this evening. The first chance for voters to, to get to it. The two main Republican candidates there, former President Trump and former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley, with the other candidates dropping out. On the Democratic side, you know, who's not on the ballot is President Biden. He wanted South Carolina to be the first in the nation for primaries and uh, state law in New Hampshire says it needs to be the first. And so they went ahead and uh, Biden supporters in New Hampshire asking folks to write in his name. And uh, it's a chance maybe for for Dean Phillips uh, to make a little noise. The Minnesota congressman also challenging on the on the Democratic side, John. Glenn, that uh, that tradition of voting uh, at midnight uh, in Dixville Notch is uh, super interesting. I understand it goes back to 1954. These folks were uh, in uh, in an area that was so far away uh, from being able to vote. They had to travel about an hour at the time that they decided, hey, why don't we just do it uh, at our place in uh, Dixville Notch? And uh, sure enough, uh, last night, the first six votes were casted. Yeah, they were cast at midnight in uh, kind of a quirky little tradition that's uh, all part of the, the presidential politics uh, that uh, happened here in the U.S. Uh, next steps after New Hampshire, uh, actually out in Nevada, it's another odd situation in that there's a separate primary and a separate caucus uh, on the Republican side, and you had about half the candidates sign up for one, half for the other. Again, with most dropped out, Nikki Haley in in one and, and President Trump in the other, uh, and that happens coming up in, in a few weeks in early February. But the, the next real contest uh, uh, in South Carolina on the 24th of February and then uh, on to Super Tuesday coming up March 5th. 
Well, Glenn, uh, last night uh, before the voting actually uh, got underway in Dixville Notch, um, former President Trump was joined on stage uh, there in New Hampshire uh, by uh, former opponents who are now endorsing him, uh, Senator Tim Scott, Vivek Ramaswamy, and Governor Doug Burnham, uh, all of them uh, together uh, to uh, show uh, a show of force, basically, that the Republican Party is united and ready to take on uh, President uh, Joe Biden. It was super interesting. Interesting to see all of them uh, up on stage. Uh, um, in fact, um, uh, Tim Scott was uh, was so you know over the top of enthusiastic. My goodness, it was like being at a uh, you know at a, at a football pep rally. Yeah, that's kind of what what these are. You know, uh, everybody cheering for their favorite candidate, and uh, and both uh, Haley and uh, and Trump rallying the troops, trying to get them to to turn out today. Uh, the latest polling did have uh, President Trump uh, just a little bit ahead of, of Nikki Haley, depending on the polls, anywhere from uh, 5 to, to 10%. But the, the real polling counts today. And again, in New Hampshire, uh, one needn't be registered ahead of time uh, to vote in uh, any given primaries uh, and party's primary. And so uh, New Hampshire has a chance for independents to uh, really have their have their say this time around. Well, we have seen uh, time and time again uh, polls being wrong over over the years. Uh, but y- you wonder, you know, just how uh, close are these uh, recent polls? Uh, you know, like like you said, uh, you know, they're all over the the map, but they have uh, changed uh, since uh, DeSantis uh, stepped down on on Sunday. In fact, according to a Monmouth University Washington Post poll. Uh, Trump is at 52 percent and Nikki Haley at 34 percent, up from 18 percent in November. So she's come a long way, but she's still way behind uh, Trump going into today's uh, primary. So we'll see, because, you know, all the talk and all the polling really means nothing. It's the people's vote uh, that counts. And uh, we'll we'll know more by uh, by tonight. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're in New Hampshire, get out and vote. For sure. Uh, meanwhile, um, the uh, issue of immigration in the news uh, with the uh, Supreme Court uh, chiming in. They've allowed uh, federal agents to take down some of that razor wire that the state of Texas has put up along the border there, especially along parts of the, the Rio Grande. And um, so that's uh, for some seen as a, as a win for the administration that had been been fighting for that with the vote in the Supreme Court, a, a close one. But uh, you know, those pictures are tough to see of uh, immigrants trying to, to wade through the razor wire. It really is. Uh, my understanding is that that is just a temporary ruling while the case actually uh, goes forward. Uh, does that sound correct? Uh, boy, I have to get back to you on that one, John. Okay, yeah. Not sure about that one. But nevertheless, the issue just doesn't go away. And, uh you know, it is it is a big concern, obviously, for the state of Texas, where we have seen now uh, over eight million uh, immigrants uh, come over the bo- the southern border uh, just uh, since uh, the last couple of years uh, since uh, President Biden took uh, office. Uh, meanwhile, the other story, which I know uh, and my I know firsthand and uh, my uh, my producer, uh, Sarah, here smiling on the other side of the glass uh, as well. It was pretty uh, tough getting into the office here this morning because there is a deadly ice storm uh, that, would, that could be so dangerous uh, for travel here, not only in the Chicago area, but uh, in many parts uh, of the country from Iowa all the way to New York. Yeah, it's a uh, big swath of the country dealing with ice, which is much harder than just plain old snow. Many might have seen a video out of St. Louis where a fire truck on the way to a call spun in a 360, almost took out a house 
did take out a car. Luckily, no injuries there. But if something as big as a fire truck has trouble maneuvering, uh, imagine, you know, uh, the everyday driver's challenges out there. And so, um, and and for you, this uh, winter driving continues to be quite the adventure, John. Yeah, I mean, it's really, really was an adventure. Just getting to my car, and I only have to go about, you know, 70 feet uh, it, 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 it was scary. You know, one thing is, you know, to walk on snow, which is, you know, even if there's a, a blizzard, you can walk on snow. You don't worry that you're going to fall over, but this was like the best way I can describe it. It's like walking on an ice rink, you know, uh, trying to walk from uh, one, uh, goal to the other side of the rink, uh, without holding on to anything on the ice in street shoes. And that's what it felt like. And so it was really, really scary. Uh, and you know, this is where, you know, Father Rocky says, the more you pray, the better things go. I absolutely sense my prayers and uh, ask the, the good Lord to please help me get into the office. And uh, by the grace of God, made it in here. Once I got into the parking lot, it was it was even more uh, dangerous. I mean, it was, it was like a sheet of ice. I was literally hanging on to the walls and to the flagpole just to walk into the building. Well, Glenn, I think we both know what we need to do now, and that's to find this video footage from our outside video camera that surveil relevant radio to see if we can see how dangerous it was for John because that sounds like it would be very interesting to watch but you know you hear whistle while you work I was thinking it's more like sprinkle while you walk bring that salt uh, salt with you (laughs) to just carefully take your steps and John I mean we all knew the ice ice report was coming I mean you didn't wear your skates I I thought right away just put the skates on and then you'd be in good place oh my goodness (laughs) no I had my totes on and uh hey uh I did take them off as soon as I got in the building, uh, like a good uh, relevant radio associate to make sure we don't make a mess uh, through our lobby. But uh, yeah, you know, you count your blessings and you, you know, really trust in the Lord when you drive in those kind of conditions. So folks, if you're listening, be, be careful out there because uh, it's in many ways, it's invisible. You're not even sure just how icy and slippery it is. And you don't know how quickly your car is going to be able to react. Um, Matt Beardsley, our ace engineer, engineer. I ran into him in the hallway. He just bought a brand new car last night. Brand new. And he says he was driving it this morning. He was scared to death. He was going to crash his brand new car, you know, in less than 24 hours. Well, that usually when you buy a car that you have at least 24 hours to crash it so that you break it in and then you're not worried about it anymore. So, hey, Matt, don't be so worried. It'll be fine. Uh, break get it in is just a saying. You're not really <laughs> supposed to, to break it. If I was you guys, I'd grab the hockey sticks and get out there, have a little fun at break time in the parking lot. We could do know? that. I'm like, okay, we'll see if we can find anything here. Maybe a couple yeah. of room mops. Yeah, Glenn yeah, might be yeah, more yeah. used to these ice storms up in Minnesota uh, than us than us here in, in the Chicago area. But... Uh, what well, can now, I say? John, you've presumably had years and years of winter driving in Chicagoland. Is this like the worst you've ever seen? It is. I, I, I kid you not. It may be the the worst only because it's ice. It's not snow. I mean, with snow, you, like I said, you you can plop through the snow, but to you, you got to walk one foot at a time on the ice. In fact, I actually squatted down sort of like a catcher to make sure that I was lowered to the ground so I wouldn't topple over to get into the building okay. here. No, I, no, really need, I really video. need to see the footage now. Okay, Matt, you look this up for us. We really need to find All this. Right. This is great. Okay, guys. Uh, we're here. We're safe. And um, we'll have more coming up next hour. As always, thanks, uh, Sarah and Glenn.
All righty, take it easy. First things first, and uh, yes, we really do pray here on uh, Morning Air. We start uh, every morning that way, giving thanks to our Lord for all the many blessings, and we always pray through the intercession of the Mother of God, our Blessed Mother Mary, as we continue to pray for peace in the world, especially in the Middle East and in Ukraine, and peace in our nation, peace in our church, and peace in our families. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, patroness of the Americas, patroness of the Unborn and of Relevant Radio, pray for us. St. Joseph, patron of the Universal Church, pray for us. St. John Paul II, co-patron of Relevant Radio, pray for us. We invoke the Holy Spirit every single morning when we pray, Come, Holy Spirit, come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Tuesdays always take uh, just a, a moment uh, to remind you about uh, our guardian angels. Uh, even though you can't see these heavenly companions, our guardian angels are absolutely uh, with us. I think my guardian angel was with me all the way into the office this morning with the uh, ice storm. So uh, make sure you ask your guardian angel for help uh, in your everyday life. Our power scripture from the Playbook of Life this morning is from 2 Corinthians 12, 9, and 10. The Apostle St. Paul writes, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. I will all the more gladly boast of my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. These verses by St. Paul are a powerful reminder that God's grace is all we need. No matter the challenge, no matter the hardship, His grace is sufficient. When we feel really weak, like we just can't go on, that's when we are really strong, if we trust in the Lord and in His divine providence with all of our hearts. We always pray with great confidence from the Chaplet of Divine Mercy, Jesus, I trust in you. We need to take a short break when Morning Air continues. Catholic writer and speaker Laura Di Maria will be with us to talk about today's saint, Saint Marianne Cope, who helped Saint Damien of Malachi and the many isolated lepers in Hawaii for decades. She'll tell us all about it. So stay with us as this Tuesday edition of Morning Air continues here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. The light of Christ to start your day. This is Morning Air. Jump into the conversation. Call 888-914-9149. Slipping down a slide, keeping down a hide. Been told a long time ago. I get it. How appropriate. Uh, welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales along with Glenn and Sarah, thanks so much for tuning in on this Tuesday morning here on Relevant Radio and the new Relevant Radio app. Our email, if you want to reach us directly uh, with whatever's on your mind, any thoughts or story ideas you want to share with us, it's morningair at relevantradio.com. You can find us on X, formerly Twitter, 
at Morning Air Show and on Facebook. And our number, if you want to be part of the program uh, this morning, it's 888-914-9149, sponsored by the Catholic Order of Foresters. Now, uh, as I mentioned at the top of the show uh, today, we uh, celebrate the optional memorial of the life of two saints, St. Vincent, deacon and martyr, and St. Marianne Cope. Most of us haven't heard a whole lot about St. Marianne Cope before, but uh, she has a really super interesting story. Uh, Do you know that she helped St. Damien of Malachi uh, with the lepers, but she never contracted leprosy herself despite being there for 30 years? Joining us live from uh, Metro uh, Washington, D.C. is Catholic writer and speaker Laura DeMaria for much more on St. Marianne Cope, also known as Mother Marianne of Malachi. Laura is a revert to the faith. Her personal website where she writes on topics including uh, personal development, uh, spiritual study, and living the Catholic faith in daily life uh, can be found at laurademaria.com. Good morning, Laura. Thanks so much uh, for joining us. It's, it's good to be with you once again. Good morning, John. Thanks so much for having me on. Hey, do you guys have any ice uh, hitting uh, Metro uh, DC this morning? So surprisingly, no. We had two big dumps of snow last week. The government was shut down for, for Tuesday and Friday, but it never turned into ice. This is It's the weirdest thing. You're, usually our snow is very problematic, but as I look out the window, there's roofs are covered in beautiful white snow, but everyone's going to work today. So yeah, we, we are very fortunate this time around. Well, maybe you might have heard a little bit of our uh, give and take about the mm-hmm. unbelievable ice uh, storm here in the Chicago area. So uh, I just count my blessings that I'm here uh, in person to be able to talk to you this morning. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, uh, what can you share with us uh, uh, about uh, St. Marianne uh, uh, Cope? Uh, as, as someone who I, I really, you know, w- was not that familiar with. In fact, she was just canonized just uh, recently. So can you right. fill us in? Yeah, that's why I wanted to learn a little bit more about her, too. You know, I was looking at my calendar and saw that she had a feast day coming up. And I thought, I've definitely heard of her before, but I don't know anything at all about her. And I won't assume that that's the case for all of our listeners, but maybe, you know, especially because I was so surprised to learn that she spent a lot of her life on the island of Molokai. So St. Damien of Molokai, I think, is someone who's pretty well known. You know, we understand that he's the person who worked with the lepers and just that whole mission of of providing dignity to people who are really at the lowest rung of society. You know, it's it, very much akin to back in the days in the Bible of Jesus, how lepers were being treated. Um, but she was too. So she's, she's actually also known as St. Marion of Molokai. And, um, but that wasn't actually even where her, her sort of career began. So she was uh, born in Germany. And then when she was very little, her family immigrated to New York. So she really also bridges a couple of cultures as well. She's European and she's American. And when she was very young, she felt the call to religious life. And, and that's really where her, her spirituality and her journey in the church and towards sainthood began. And uh, she um, showed signs of leadership, and so she uh, was able to serve uh, in leadership positions, uh, you know, early on. Um, she did. First, first at a school and then at, uh, at uh, hospitals. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us about that part of the story. Yeah, so the sisters that she joined, they're called the Sisters of St. Francis of Syracuse, New York. So while she was in America, in mainland America, a lot of her work, I believe all of it, was based in New York. 
And one of her first assignments was to be a teacher and then eventually a principal. So very early on, she showed this leadership and fearlessness that I think is really a um, sort of a hallmark of who she was and the way that, she, that God worked through her in the world. And I think specifically what we see later, especially when she answers the call to go work with lepers in Hawaii, there just must have been such a great trust in her heart for what God wanted. You know, she she really had this habit of responding enthusiastically to what God wanted her to do. So in these early days, she used that multicultural background that she had and her her ability to speak German, and she ministered specifically to German families and their children and taught them. And then and then she sort of changed paths a little bit and she got more into the medical side of caring for people. And uh, she was a nurse and she was a hospital administrator. And she had, again, this habit of of just starting hospitals. And that's what she did. So while she was in New York, she started at least two hospitals that were very successful, um, you know, and, and they were Catholic hospitals. They ministered to everybody. And so, you know, you kind of think about who she was in the context of that time, essentially an immigrant herself, a woman, and she was able to to get things really done and help people. And I think that that's just such an important part of her story and who she is and, and what we should pay attention to. So how did uh, she answer the call and go from New York uh, to Molokai, Hawaii? Yeah, so back in the day, Hawaii had a king. You know, this wasn't too long ago. She was born in um, 1838. And also, by the way, the reason why January 23rd is her the day that we celebrate and remember her is because that was her birthday. So she was born on January 23rd, 1838. Um, <clears throat> so the king of Hawaii, apparently Hawaii had a very big problem with lepers and with with other types of um, basically like fatal diseases, you know, long-term diseases that there really isn't a cure for. At that point, Hawaii did not have this edict that said all the lepers need to be living in one place. They were able to be taken care of in hospitals and they were, the island of Molokai did exist. But so anyway, there's this, this big public health crisis essentially. And evidently the king of Hawaii asked tons and tons of religious organizations. Will you please come and help us with this? Will you please bring your missionary spirit and your care for others and establish places to care for these lepers that no one else wants to touch? So St. Marianne Cope, being who she was, enthusiastically responded yes, and she was there for 30 years. And so again, she was working in hospitals. She went to um, hospitals that already existed began establishing new hospitals. I believe one of them was on the was in Maui, and that's where she began. Um, and then something kind of weird happened. A new government came in, and they said, that's it from this moment forward. All lepers have to live on the island of Molokai. And so she again answered the call, and she went to the island of Molokai. And... Uh in Molokai, that's where uh, she uh, met uh, the famous uh, St. Damien of Molokai. Uh, what do we know about that relationship? So he was towards the end of his life. And so um, essentially, it looks like their paths crossed right at the time when he was dying, essentially. And she cared for him as he was dying. And she took on a leadership role after he was gone. And so keeping in mind, it wasn't just her there by herself. She had her religious sisters with her that she brought. And so there's kind of like a passing of the mantle of the care and concern for 
all of these poor human beings who were trapped on this island in really terrible conditions. You know, a big, just just like St. Damien was really focused on remembering and reminding people of their innate dignity as children of God, she also had that mission too. So after he passed, she continued to be there. And then she kind of combined all this stuff that she had been doing in her life around education and healthcare. And in addition to just continuing to care for people in these hospitals and establishing programs for them and teaching her sisters how to do it, she also established schools. So there were girls and women living in certain parts of this colony who just had terrible lives, you know, they down to down to the way that they were dressing. And she saw this and she felt the need to fix it so that what life they did have to live was full of dignity and was full of joy. She was really focused on things like introducing them to art and to music and making sure that they had access to musical instruments or that they could get to hear little concerts and things like that. So she brought she brought something really interesting there beyond just, I'm going to care for the bodies of these people. She really nurtured their spiritual lives and their creative lives as well, which is really remarkable. I find it absolutely amazing um, to think uh, that um, um, Mother Marianne of Hawaii, uh, uh, St. Marianne of Cope, um, never contracted leprosy in all those years, decades, uh, working with the lepers. Think about the, the trust in the Lord that she must mm-hmm. have had to, to keep literally uh, being Jesus for all of lo- those lepers. It's kind of like, you know, what Mother Teresa did, you know, working with the mm-hmm. poor, only she was working with the lepers. You know, being the face of Jesus to all those people. It had to take incredible faith and incredible trust in the Lord uh, to do that kind of work. Absolutely. And she must have been such a joyful person, too. And and I think that that's a part of it. You know, she's going and answering this call and not saying, oh, boy, here we go. I got to go do this hard thing. She's saying, wow, this is an opportunity where God is going to use me and I can put aside my own concerns about health. But maybe she didn't even have concerns. Maybe she she just inherently knew I'm going to go and do God's work and, and, and it is such a self-sacrifice. And it's, it's interesting because even though it's a, it's a totally different situation, a totally different time, it kind of reminded me of St. Maximilian Kolbe a little bit too, just that I will go forward into this place that God has called me and my life is his and I am just handing it over. And leprosy is not a pleasant disease. You know, it's, it's not like she didn't know what she was getting into. There's a reason why the government of Hawaii put all these people in one place, you know, so so that no one else could catch it or visit them or be around them. So she knew what she was getting into and she just went. And not only that, again, the leadership thing, she brought people with her. She inspired other young women, other sisters to come and do this work with her. So it's, it's just a remarkable way to live. And that's one of the things that I've learned and in learning about her that I just admire so much. And there's a lot in that for us and in our daily lives and the things that look like, you know, they're scary or they're confrontations or we're not sure how we're going to do it. This is that, it's like heroic virtue, you know, the courage that she showed. 
heroic uh, virtue and also it I, I think it was miraculous actually it, it, it's mm-hmm. really uh, nothing short of a miracle uh, to not uh, contract leprosy working with those lepers for all those uh, decades right. uh, it, it's a sign of uh, God's uh, divine providence we don't understand why the Lord allowed her mm-hmm. not to catch leprosy but he did allow um, Damien of Malachi right. uh, Saint mm-hmm. Damien uh, to uh, mm-hmm. ultimately die of leprosy and uh, you know, there's some definite spiritual lessons that, that we can learn from from right. uh, from this experience of uh, of uh, Mother uh, Marianne of Malachi. Uh, right. uh, you know, lessons of uh, trusting in the Lord, uh, lessons of being Jesus uh, uh, to others, um, and uh, and and just uh, putting uh, one's life in in the Lord's hands. Right. And one other thing that I found, I don't know if this is if this is anecdotal. I think that it's correct though, but. I believe that she told all of her sisters who were with her, you're not going to get leprosy. You'll be fine. And she was right. So it's not only she never got sick. I believe that none of the sisters ever working there with the lepers ever got sick with leprosy and died. Um, So that's just that's just wild. That is wild. <laughs> you know? It's absolutely amazing. That is that yeah. is incredible. In uh, and obviously, you know, this happened uh, in the 1800s. Uh, she died in uh, in the early part of uh, last century, 1918, of natural mm-hmm. causes, and ultimately uh, was canonized by uh, Pope uh, Benedict the uh, 16th in 2011. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, she's the patron saint of a, a few different causes. She is. So leprosy, obviously, um, the Hawaiian islands. So they've got that going for them. That's nice. Outcasts, just just the general concept of outcasts. She is patron saint of. And then interestingly enough, this is very relevant for us in our age and, you know, really the end of the of the last century patron of those with HIV AIDS. I think just because in a way that kind of became the modern world's leprosy you know it's much more under control now when there's there's drugs and treatments and things like that but it's it's very interesting to me it's like this bridge that can help us understand what it would have been like to be a leper back in the 1800s or really at any time before modern history it it would have been like when aids was first and hiv were first big in the culture you know in the in the 80s in america so so she has um, she's the patron of all of those and anybody, but you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be an outcast to pray to her because I think there's a lot in her life that we can really relate to and take from. You know, I just had an inspiration that just came to me. You know, we just uh, got over uh, the pandemic uh, just in mm-hmm. recent years, uh, the, the COVID-19 pandemic. And people were so scared at the time, you know, with the mass and the mm-hmm. social distancing and everything that was going on. Can you imagine the courage that uh, yeah. St. Mary Ann Cope had to be around people with leprosy? Uh, way more contagious and scary uh, than, uh, than, than, than uh, COVID-19. <laughs> Right. And another thing that that so many of us experienced during that time was just such a sense of loneliness. And that must have been true, too. You know, you're going to live in a place that's really isolated. You're leaving behind your life and the people that you knew and kind of whatever goals you might have had for yourself. So I think also she worked through that loneliness. She confronted it, too. So that's that falls into that category of outcast. You know, if you're really lonely and you're you're feeling by yourself, you might probably feel a little bit like an outcast. So I think she is a great saint to pray to if you're in the midst of of like isolation and loneliness, whether it's caused by a health situation or something else. And there's a lot of lonely folks out there. Mm St. Marianne Cope 
pray for us. Laura, as always, uh, really uh, appreciate you being with us. Uh, fascinating insights about uh, Mother Marianne of Malachi. Thank you so much for having me and, and giving me a chance to talk about this wonderful saint. Great to be with you. Catholic writer and speaker Laura DeMaria joining us from Metro Washington, D.C. For more, you can go to laurademaria.com. We need to take a short pause when we come back. Uh, Bishop Brendan Cahill, the Bishop of the Diocese of Victoria, Texas, will be with us to talk about the upcoming Southwest Liturgical Conference in Oklahoma City, which will be focusing on the Holy Eucharist. So stay with us. There is uh, much more to come. We are just warming up here on this uh, Tuesday edition of Morning Air on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. More of Morning Air after this. This is Morning Air, your home for faith, fun, and news in the morning. On Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. And welcome back to Morning Air. I'm John Morales, along with Glenn and producer Sarah. Thanks so much for joining us uh, on this Tuesday morning across much of our nation here on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. It's always a blessing uh, to be with you, our Relevant Radio family. As uh, Glenn Leverance always says, uh, the best listeners in the world. You can always uh, send us an email directly. It's morningair at relevantradio.com. You can also find us on X, formerly Twitter, at Morning Air Show, as well as on Facebook. And our number, if you want to be part of the program here this morning, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Now, this year is the second annual Southwest Liturgical uh, Conference Study Week, and that'll be taking place starting tomorrow, uh, January 24th until Friday, January 27th. The focus of this conference is the Holy Eucharist, which is very relevant, uh, especially during this time of Eucharistic revival. This year's theme is uh, the Eucharist, forming and transforming. What is the impact of attending a Eucharistic conference? Joining us live from Victoria Texas is Morning Air contributor Bishop Brendan Cahill to tell us much more about this upcoming Southwest Liturgical Conference in Oklahoma City. Bishop Cahill is the third bishop of the Diocese of Victoria, Texas. He's also the bishop promoter of Stella Maris, the Seafarers Ministry. Your Excellency, uh, Bishop Cahill, thank you so much uh, for joining us. Uh, As always, it is a joy to be with you once again. Good morning, John. It's great to be with you. It's funny you talk about the uh, the listeners being a, a, a beautiful community of faith. I had an experience at, um, I think it was Midnight Mass this year. So I celebrated Midnight Mass at our cathedral in Victoria. And afterwards, uh, a man came up to me, and uh, he's from Raleigh, North Carolina. And he said, I hear you on relevant radio. And so it's uh, people from around the country uh, uh, listen to the show. And so I appreciate so much what you offer here in offering a time to talk about our faith and different activities we're doing. Um, the Southwest Liturgical Conference, though, it's like the 62nd. It's been around for a while, and it covers, as far as Southwest, it covers an area like, you know, Texas, Oklahoma, Arkansas, but even up into Utah and the Southwest. And it's been an annual conference to focus on our liturgical life and the renewal of liturgy, RCIA, uh, different activities we're doing in our parishes. 
And so this year in Oklahoma, uh, with the Eucharistic revival, we're really focusing on the Eucharist and the transformation in our lives, what it looks like. Um, so I'm kind of excited about it. Um, I'm going to, up to Oklahoma City tomorrow, tomorrow evening, and it goes like Wednesday evening to Saturday. And another thing, just for the listeners, if you look up on Southwest Liturgical Conference, if you can't attend, because, you know, it, it starts this week, so you probably can't attend, can't make your change in plans, you can uh, register and online look at some of the talks. And so like Dr. Tim O'Malley from Notre Dame, Professor University of Dallas, Mount St. Mary's in Baltimore, different people are coming together with keynotes. Uh, a couple of my bishop friends, Bishop Tony Taylor from Arkansas, is going to present on Blessed Stanley Rother, you know, a, a saint and a liturgical life of, of a saint, and also Bishop uh, Mike Goulet from San Antonio will be presenting. So anyway, it's a variety of topics, and um, but I look forward to it. But just thank you for giving the chance to talk about it. Well, absolutely. Anything that we can do to promote the Holy Eucharist, especially during this time of uh, Eucharistic revival, and of course with the big uh, Eucharistic Congress coming up in Indianapolis uh, this July, in which we're hoping to fill up uh, that uh, stadium, the home of the Indianapolis Colts of the NFL. We're hoping to have uh, Catholics uh, standing room only, uh, Your Excellency. You know what? Uh, I, I don't think we're just so, but I think we're going to do it. Uh, I mean, we have uh, with the Eucharistic revival. I mean, we're pretty excited here. If if you look at our map, like Victoria is in South Texas, and you know we're doing one of the the routes of the pilgrimage to the Indianapolis is from Brownsville, in a sense, uh, the Guadalupe route with our devotion to Mary, our Lady Guadalupe, and they pass right through Victoria. You, you come right up from Brownsville past Corpus Christi, to Victoria, to Houston, to Louisiana, then go straight up north. And um, so, I mean, we're pretty excited. We're planning that, I think, our few days are end of May, and we have uh, a team of parishioners planning how we'll do the Eucharist procession through through Victoria. Um, our area is interesting because, uh, obviously, we go back 1749 as the first chapel was established with uh, the, the Spanish and the French at the beginning. Victoria itself was founded in 1824. There's a, a rich Catholic history here, but as we're expressing the history throughout it all, the presence of Jesus Christ in the Most Holy Eucharist and focusing our devotion there. So we, we have like 100 people already lined up from here going. So I think Indianapolis is going to have a, a pretty full Lucas Oil Stadium. Well, we're definitely looking forward to it, and uh, most of the show hosts and the show teams are going to be there. We'll be broadcasting live uh, from uh, Indianapolis. Uh, and, you know, when you think about it, Your Excellency, uh, if, uh, you know, if people can fill up, uh, you know, Michigan Stadium with 115,000 uh, seats uh, to see, uh, you know, college football or all these NFL playoff games, you know, obviously people have this passion. They become fools for football. Well, we need to be like St. Paul says, fools for Christ and fill up, uh, you know, this uh, arena, uh, home of the Colts, uh, coming up uh, this um, this uh, uh, summer in, in July, and uh, also uh, conferences like this one in in Oklahoma City is super important to continue the process. Well, yes, and Oklahoma City is, is very practical because the Southwest Liturgical Conference. You'll see on the deal. We're focusing on full, active, conscious participation of all the faithful in the liturgy. 
So you'll have some things on training altar servers. How do you get your servers to be trained well? Eucharistic ministers, uh, what, what formation do we get for Eucharistic ministers? Uh, singing. You know, in, in our area, we're, we're focusing a lot now on, on liturgical texts. What are we singing as we um, uh, sing? How do we participate in singing at the Mass? Um, and then uh, this year, we're in, for, in the transformation. Like, how is it that we form the body of Christ, but how does that change how I live my day-to-day? Um, as an instrument of God's mercy, with compassion for the poor, reaching out to those in the margins. Um, how does that look like in, in my own life? So also part of it, it would be like the, the sense of discipleship and transformation in the Eucharist. And so a lot of, uh, a lot of the workshops are very practical, um, even just how you prepare yourself for, for coming on Sunday. What, what Do you do the readings in advance? Do you have a prayerful start to the day on Sunday? Um, how do you do any other rituals in your family for your prayer life? There's a lot of um, things that are in the conference that are very practical. Uh, some are very, you know, uh, inspirational, deep. Like, like one of the talks is on Augustine, the Church Fathers, and the the, the liturgy. And so it, I'm it super interested in that one, uh, Your Excellency uh, uh, Bishop Cahill. Uh, that I wish I, I, I could be there in person to hear uh, that uh, presentation on the Church Fathers and, and Saint Augustine, uh, the the understanding of the Eucharist's power to transform us into the body of Christ. Uh, that sounds like a fascinating uh, presentation. Well, see, I, th- I think it will be. And the thing is, uh, but I tell people if you go to Southwest Liturgical Conference on the website, I think. I'm, pretty sure I'm not as tech savvy as others, but I think you can register and be able to have access like for, you know, three or four weeks to the talks if you register. Yeah, the uh, the um, website is actually uh, swlc.org, and that'll take you right there. Uh, to uh, the, the website to be able to to register for the, for this conference in Oklahoma, and they have a they have a whole schedule for the folks that are in person and the and the folks that'll be online. Absolutely, oh great, thanks. Yeah, it's 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 very very uh, uplifting, and you know there's so much that we can learn. I'm sure from uh, the teachings of Saint Augustine, one of the early church fathers, and 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 you know many of the other church fathers that talked about the Holy Eucharist. I mean, that's where we know, in addition to everything that's in Scripture and John six and all the synoptic gospels, we know what the early church believed about our Lord in the Holy Eucharist. Oh, absolutely, or e- even the martyrs like you know Polycarp or. You know, today we have St. Vincent, the, the deacon who offered his life, and a reflection of St. Augustine about St. Vincent. And you just hear the, the reality of uh, the freedom to offer your life and make your life an offering, and that, that God gives you the grace to do so. And, and so, right from the early church writings, it kind of gives us a sense of a 2,000 year history that we're part of. And I think what follows is confidence that the confidence Christ is victorious. and we share in his victory in the world in which we live. That was one of the lines, you know, today's office of readings with St. Vincent, it kind of picked up, I have conquered the world. Uh, do not be afraid. And so it's, we have nothing to be afraid of. And so, you know, a lot of the different talks. And then, so you notice like another one, Blessed Stanley Rother is uh, Bishop Taylor's giving a talk. That's going to be inspirational. So I've heard Bishop Taylor, uh, he gave our priest retreat this year, I've heard him talk about Blessed Stanley Rother, and it's 
pretty inspirational about um, Blessed Stanley's witness and his faithfulness to serving the people and his willingness to ultimately be with his people, even when he knew that the government in Guatemala, he was a, you know, he was a missionary in Guatemala during the 70s and 80s, and he knew the government was going to come after him, but he stayed with his people. And so, yeah, all that is a mix of different, a variety of different talks. But I, I think it looks to me pretty pretty interesting. Yes, it, it absolutely looks uh, fascinating. Uh, this year's theme, uh, Eucharistic Forming and Transforming, can you talk a little bit about uh, the theme for this conference uh, that starts tomorrow well, in Oklahoma City? Yeah, but I'm going to the background. The, the background is it's uh, Archbishop Coakley is the Archbishop in Oklahoma City. And so when a, um, a diocese commits to, to host, it usually is uh, the host bishop with the, the team from Southwest Liturgical Conference come up with a theme. And so I'm sure, um, from Archbishop Copley's perspective, it is focused on, on the Eucharist and uh, a sense of missionary discipleship for us. It is How is it that we connect our Sunday celebration with how we live you know, throughout the week? And I think a, a lot of us you know, have a sense of, how do we reach out to younger families to encourage them that they're called to the Holy Spirit to be evangelizers within their family and within their community? And so I think that's, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing right now, but I'm thinking that's how that theme developed was to think folks in the Eucharist as transforming us and transforming our own brokenness into being instruments of healing and mercy for others. Um, uh, I think that's where the vision usually comes from. It comes from the host host diocese, and there's a team with the liturgical conference that works on the theme. And obviously, the Southwest Liturgical Conference uh, Study Week, it's about uh, education. It's about inspiration, you know, learning uh, about uh, the Holy Eucharist and, and getting further educated and inspired to then go out and, and, and take that back to our home uh, uh, parishes and dioceses. Absolutely. And then, then also, you know, broader liturgical life, even say how uh, celebrate sacrament anointing of the sick, like say, if we are going to the hospital. How, how do we celebrate it? How do we take care of people in the hospitals? Um, that, that maybe workshop on how to take care of men and women who are in the prison and in your county jails, or, or how to take care of different people in different situations. That we bring the Eucharistic presence and the the, the real presence of Christ to different situations. Um, and so I think it, it's. Uh, it's kind of an interesting mix of, you'll see them, right? You've already looked at, there's a ton of different workshops, you know, have a lot of different um, uh, themes. Yes, and they actually uh, have uh, the schedule for the online presentations that will be available for those who uh, uh, want to attend uh, virtually and obviously uh, for the folks who are in person. And it is it is quite uh, a rich uh, lineup of presentations that will be going on. Final moments, uh, Your Excellency. Um, can you talk a little bit about why it's so important uh, for us to uh, – participate in this Eucharistic revival that the, that the bishops have called for and, and, and really learn as much as we can about uh, the real presence of, of our Lord in the Holy Eucharist. Yeah, I'd say number one for me is uh, I think we live in a world of 
a lot of distractions, worldly things that we get concerned about day by day. And uh, I think even for myself, the social media sometimes gets so caught up in different things. And to focus on the true presence of Jesus Christ, he's always there for us. The victory has been won. And to sense the peacefulness and the mercy he brings to the world. And so uh, I think for the main thing is just focus on what's most important. And it's right there with Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And it's a gift he's given to us. And so focusing on Eucharistic participation on Sunday, but also adoration and different devotional lives where we can have our eyes focused on the prize on what's most important. Your Excellency, uh, Bishop Cahill, can you give us uh, your blessing? Oh, absolutely. Lord Jesus, and forth your Holy Spirit upon all those listening this day, upon our land, and upon all those in need of your mercy and grace. Pray, Almighty God, your blessing upon all who hear this morning. May Almighty God bless you, the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much, uh, Your Excellency, for ever being with us uh, this morning. Really appreciate it. Well, God bless y'all. I'm praying for all those with the cold, I guess, across the country. We're kind of, we have rain right now, which I think is good for us, but uh, just prayers for, for all those suffering with the cold right now, too. Thanks again. His Excellency, Bishop Brendan Cahill, the Bishop of the Diocese of Victoria, Texas. And now it's time for another episode of Glenn Story Corner. Our story today is called The Road of Life. At first, I saw God as my observer, my judge, keeping track of the things I did wrong so as to know whether I merited heaven or hell when I die. He was there sort of like a picture of a president. I recognized his picture when I saw it, but I didn't really know him. Later on, when I met Christ, it seemed as though life was like a bike ride, a tandem bike, and I noticed that Christ was in the back helping me pedal. I don't recall when he suggested we change places, but life has not been the same since. When I had control, it was rather boring and predictable. I knew the shortest distances between two points, but when he took the lead, he knew the exciting paths to take. Up mountains, through rocky places, at breakneck speeds, it was all I could do to just hang on. At times, it seemed like madness. He said, pedal, and by faith I did, although I worried and was anxious. Where are you taking me? He laughed, but no answer. I started to learn to trust. I forgot my boring life and entered into the adventure. When I'd say I'm scared, he'd lean back and touch my hand. He took me to people that had gifts that I needed. Gifts of healing, acceptance, love, and joy. So many priceless gifts to take on my journey, my Lord's and mine. Then we were off again. He said, give the gifts away. They're extra baggage now. There'll be more gifts to come. So I did. I gave them to people we met and found that in giving, I also received and my burden was lighter. I didn't trust him at first to be in control of my life. I thought he'd wreck it. But I discovered he knows how to handle even the roughest roads in my life. Now I'm learning to be quiet and pedal in the strangest places. I'm beginning to enjoy the view, the challenge of the ride, as well as the cool breeze on my face with my delightful constant companion, Jesus Christ. When it seems I can't take it anymore, I keep my eyes and faith on him. He looks at me with a big smile and says, Keep on pedaling. From Isaiah 41.10, Don't be afraid, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my victorious hand. 
Thanks so much, uh, Glenn, coming up next hour here on Morning Air. Martha Fernandez-Sardina will be with us to continue talking about love solutions to love more in 24. Plus, Professor Harry Kramer will join us to discuss learning the insights and experiences of senior world leaders to make progress in our leadership journey. Stay with us. There's much more to come in the final hour of Morning Air. Morning Air.